Hello, creeps. I bid you welcome back to the Eldritch Review Podcast. I am Dr. Jack Al Creeper. The Eldritch Review is the podcast dedicated to reviewing and discussing horror movies from anywhere in the 1920s to the 1940s and beyond. For today's episode, I would just like to inform all of my creeps listening that after this episode, there will be only two episodes left in this very first season of the Eldritch Review. After December 30th, I will be taking a short hiatus from January until about mid-March when Season 2 rises from the dead. Of course, I will still be active on social media, keeping up with my creeps, and selling merch. But know that there will be no new episodes until mid-March of 2021. I will have more information as well as the official announcement by the time the final episode launches. So be sure to tune into that one as well as these last two episodes. You won't want to miss what's in store. On today's very special episode, I have the honor and the pleasure of having not one, but two guests on the show. My first guest has been a monster kid since he was a kid. He literally grew up watching any monster movie available, along with anything Abbott and Costello, and especially the Universal Monsters universe. And honestly, not much has changed. Like the rest of the squad on the website Universal Monsters Universe, he loves them all but has a very special fondness for the creature from the Black Lagoon. He is also passionate about animals, old rock and roll, writing scripts and songs, and breakfast foods. You can check out his adventures in filmmaking at the Salisbury Studios YouTube channel or check out his new Instagram, Undiscovered, sharing the gems of the unheard community of Nerdum. Please welcome Austin Gill Hill. What's up, my man? What's up, my brother, brothers? How you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. Let's hear about you, man. Spill the truth. What's good? All right. Well, so it was a rainy night on a Tuesday night uh, in September, about 30 years ago. Although, is that, is that too far back? Too far back on me? Uh, I'm just kidding. That well, that that really was when I was born. Um, but not much, man. Not much, man. I'm pumped to be here and talk monsters and talk. Talk my boy Gilman. I got a lot of nicknames for him. Creech, Gilman. I call him Creechy most of the time, but um, he's been my favorite since I was in single digits. So uh, the Monster Fam, as I call it, is a pretty pretty diverse and um, uh, wonderful community, and I'm proud to be a part of it and uh, proud to uh, talk Gilman on this podcast with you, brother. Yeah, well, I'm happy to have you, Austin. Your passion for the Gilman really shows, and the second I met you, the second I saw your features on Universal Monsters Universe and just everything you do with the creature, I was like, I have to have this guy on the show. There's just no way I can go without it. So I'm really happy you're here. Dude, I'm so pumped, and for the occasion, I actually got—it's on mute, but I got uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon playing in the background here for a little inspiration. So he's with us right now. I love it, man. I love it. My next guest is an up-and-coming writer and horror movie enthusiast. He's been writing his whole life and even has a novel in the works, with lots of other projects filling his portfolio. Along with Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, the creature falls right into his line of expertise because he has always been such a strong believer and supporter in the cause. Please welcome my own brother, Jug. Hey, thanks for having me here. I really love talking horror movies like this, and Creature has always been on the top of my list. Uh, he's my favorite Universal monster. You know, uh, writing has always been uh, in the cards for me, and um, just just anything like this, you know, with all of, like the, the the scares you get, the murkiness of it. It's it's just it's always been such a special film for me. Right up, man. I I love it. Cool, fellas. Well, you guys 
told the people what we're talking about. Today, the three of us are going to talk to you about another movie that has captivated, defined, and most importantly, terrified audiences for generations that will follow. One of the first movie to ever feature 3D effects and truly one of Universal's biggest creature features ever created, Jack Arnold's 1954 smash hit The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Starring Riku Browning and Ben Chapman as the Gill Man, and the original Scream Queen, the beautiful Julie Adams as Kay. I'm really excited to discuss this movie for many reasons, but one of the main reasons being that I have two super fans with me who are obsessed with this great classic. Gentlemen, the floor is yours. Let's start with you, Austin. Thank you, my friend. Um, thank you, Jug. Thank you, Jug. Um, so, uh, um, you know, I, 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 I don't really remember the first time watching it. Um, I wish I did. I can, I can completely attribute my love of the Universal Monsters because, like Jug said, I have a deep love of the Universal Monsters, and because I'm part of the website uh, UMU, as, as as you mentioned, par- um, mentioned Parker. But um, I, my, my, my association with the monster starts when I was in single digits. My dad um, would rent those VHS tapes um, from Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. Those are the two main stores we went to, um, and. Uh, there was a wonderful, I know Steven, the co-founder of UMU, talks about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. The wonderful renaissance and resurgence of the Universal Monsters in the 90s is unparalleled. I think we're about to see it again, actually, in the next few years with all the projects in the works. But um, just the, and those VHS alone were the key to it. They were absolutely the key to it. Um, and I don't remember the first time watching Gilman. I don't. I remember watching it on repeat, though. I remember I have a specific image of being at the playground and thinking and loving that movie and wanting to reenact it and you know um and it just captivated me completely and i'm obsessed with its history um and i'm covering it um i think it is was i think it was light years ahead of its time i think the suit was designed by millicent patrick a wonderful pioneer uh one of our only female monster uh designers of, of a major monster i should say and uh that we know of which that should i need to get more light on that subject for sure um and just in how they did it, there's no scuba tank, you know, there's um, the locations they used and uh, the fact that just the sheer fact that he's a universal monster that came over like 10 years after the last inductees. You have Wolfman and then, I, if I'm not mistaken, there wasn't, I mean, there's many sequels, but there really wasn't one until Gilman. And it's wonderful that he was so good and so popular that he still found his way in so um, but he's lumped in there. He's in the same breath as Wolfman and Mummy and Dracula and Bride and everybody. Um, and uh, I had the fortune, extreme fortune, of meeting Julie Adams, who passed away sadly last uh, February 2019. And I had a wonderful story I would re- really want to share with you guys uh, later on here. Uh, cause I got to I got to interview her a little bit too. Um, so I want to share that story with you guys at some point. But um, I just it's a lifelong thing. Uh, in short, just a lifelong deep love of it. I can't I can't explain it. Uh, Parker, I told you I believe everybody has just that thing you know i've heard it called a magnificent obsession something that you may love a lot of things this and that and this but there's a certain thing that is like you you just love it and for me it's you know i, I feel like i have a few of them but gilman's my top and uh, you know just anything everything sometimes you can't explain it, you can't quantify it but it's there and it'll be there until i'm hopefully an old man and watching this movie from 1954 it's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Austin. And I know for a fact that you will be an old man watching a classic from 1954. There's no doubt about that one. Jug, let's hear from you. Uh, yeah, this movie, uh, I agree with a lot of the things that uh, that Austin said. Uh, it's it just, 
it's such an amazing film. Uh, it was so cool then, and even now, it's just such a fun experience to sit down and to watch like this revolutionary uh, movie that was so big for its time. You know, so frightening looking at it, and, and now it's more. It's a lot less frightening, you know, with what we've been uh, shown in the past uh, couple years. Uh, it's a lot more like, holy crap, they did this then. Uh, how they manage it, you know, looking at it, it's a, it's a more fun, you know, mind-blowing experience now than a scary experience from back then. But even then, uh, when you're watching the film, you know, you're thinking back in the mindset, or at least I think back in the mindset of somebody who was sitting in a theater back then, and uh, thinking about uh, how how scary it would be to to be like you know walking in walking in the jungle or walking by the beach and have just uh, uh, something grab your ankle or or to see something human like swimming under the surface and you, you you can't really identify it. It's just it's such a cool idea that I just I've always been so fond of it. It, it falls in line with with a lot of my other. You know, like the cryptids and stuff, uh, and Nessie and stuff. It it really falls in line with that, and it's just such a fun, it's such a fun thing to think about. Really, I agree. Well, I've known uh, you obviously your whole life because you are my brother, and I know how much you know urban legends and monsters mean to you. And it honestly makes so much sense why you love creature the way you do. I think it's great. Thank you guys so much for sharing your thoughts and your feelings with me. There's really no secret why you guys love this movie the way you do. If I'm being honest, I definitely agree with both of you. Maybe not as strongly, but I can definitely relate. The Creature is such an amazing film, especially considering the time period. I first saw Creature from the Black Lagoon when I was about 17 years old, and I remember being so captivated by how different and frankly how impactful this movie was. It was scary, dramatic, suspenseful, and a downright classic. There is just no possible way you can have anything universal without at least one appearance or mention of the Gill Man. I'm such a huge fan of characters who still continue to be huge and frighten audiences even after their initial movie release. Gill Man, or as Austin hilariously calls him, Creechy, is truly a horror movie icon and I'm more than certain will be for centuries to come. So, according to the synopsis written on Rotten Tomatoes, Creature from the Black Lagoon tells the story of the remnants of a mysterious animal that have come to light in a remote jungle, and a group of scientists who intend to determine if that find is an anomaly or evidence of an undiscovered beast. To accomplish their goal, the scientists must brave the most perilous pieces of land South America has to offer. But the terrain is nothing compared to the danger posed by an otherworldly being that endangers their work and their lives. I just want to say for the record, that was probably the most interesting and coolest synopsis for any monster movie I have ever reviewed thus far. It truly keeps the suspense and the horror wrapped up so close that you really have to watch the movie in order to figure out what they are really talking about. What do you guys think? I I think it's I think it's so cool. You know, watching the movie, uh, the the remnants that they found it was just a you know it was, it was a big old uh skeletal hand of, of just a you know it looked almost like a human hand it had like you know five fingers webs in between you know webbed webbed fingers and that's all that they found and, and it was just sitting there in a rock you know they've got this whole expedition going whatever they're doing you know and then they find such a such a, a marvelous you know amazing thing that nobody was expecting and nobody has expected 
uh, to find something like that, you know, when they're going out for like some kind of archaeology thing, uh, whatever they were doing, uh, finding something like that, I, I can't even imagine the uh, with the confusion and and likely the joy of 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 being somebody that works in in a job that it's really just you know flip a coin kind of thing. You find something you don't. Finding something that amazing that points towards a, a whole another civilization of humanoid creatures uh, that were that were just so different at the same time must have been so phenomenally uh, uh, nerve-wracking, really. You know, to, to to think that, like you know, like they were out digging sand or whatever, and then all of a sudden, boom! There's a there's a fish hand coming out of the wall. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, again, this, so this is in the boom of this, of the 1950s sci-fi boom that's going on. You know, Creature is the absolute epitome and prime of that time, um, which is a different flavor for the Universal Monsters, but yet he still fits in there. Um, and I think what's super unique about the synopsis, Parker, is that this is might be the only, pretty sure, the only Universal Monster um that did not transform from something else. It was not made from something else. It was not vampiric. It wasn't full moon. Gilman just was. So he's he's the most natural. Um, he 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 is what he is, and 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 he has no control over it, which makes them all. They're all tragic characters. Maybe not Dracula as much, but um, but Gilman especially because he has absolutely no say. He's just living his life. There is legends in the town, you know, in the village and the people nearby. There's the boat captain mentioned. My boys call this the Black Lagoon. Only they say it's a paradise, but no one's come back to prove it. And he laughs. Um, but there's legends about him, as any great, you know, sci-fi and/or horror story has to be. There has to be legends about it. You have to hear it before it happens. Um, and our heroes, our scientists, they're not look. They're looking for fossils. They're not expecting the fossil to still be swimming in there. Um, so I and, I've, and I, again, that's wonderful that he uh, adds again. It's very, very, very King Kong. Um, I know we're not going to get into the sequels, but you put creature with Revenge of the Creature, the sequel. It, it is King Kong, and this is uh, uh, 21 years later. But um, it is the exploration of something. There's a legend about it, and you go there and you find. And it worked. Of course, this is underwater, which we all, like, as Jug was saying, we know that sensation. Mm-hmm. Even if you're in a pool, I mean, Jaws would do it 20 some years later, but Creature did it first. Um, and, uh, so that, that synopsis, I, I've always, I thought the story was, was very, very natural. That fossil hand, they're like, well, there's remnants in the, in the water, in the, in the current, it carried it and it's in the black lagoon. Perfect. That's a great, it's not forced. It's natural. It makes sense. And then, you know, she's swimming and there's something underneath the water shadowing her. Then there's something pulling on the net and the boat's moving and it, it builds him very, so, so, so well. Um, and we don't get a scary scene with him until much later in the film when he attacks the tank, which I, when I was a kid, that was the scariest scene to me. Um, we still don't get a good look at him. So it builds really, really nicely. And once it, once it hits the fan, it hits the fan, which is where the fun starts. There you go. I like it. I like that both of you are so passionate about this movie. I mean, Austin, we've talked about it. Jug, we've talked about it. You know, it. I really love when people have that one monster, that one character that they gravitate towards the most. And hearing your guys' passion is exactly why I brought you guys on the show. So I'm very happy you guys are here. So let's get started. 
Normally on the Eldritch Review, what I've been doing is reviewing movies with pros, cons, and burning questions. But for today's episode and other guest shows in the future, I'm going to do a little bit of a different methodology. When it's just me, Dr. Creeper, or Parker on the Eldritch Review, I will still keep the same pros, cons, and burning questions sequence. But when I have guests, I want to change the directive into more of a discussion-based format, which allows not only more interaction between me and my guests, but you get to hear more of them as well. So with that being said, gentlemen, let's take a dive and let's talk about the Gilman. So the first discussion point I want to talk about is the dynamics of the movie. And what I mean by this is how this movie has so many different layers to it. It has horror in that Gilman is such a terrifying character. It has sci-fi in that it's literally a humanoid monster that lives underwater. And it gives me a lot of Indiana Jones vibes in that these people are either archaeologists or some form of scientists that they're literally looking for a creature that literally lives in the Black Lagoon. And it makes me wonder if this movie, maybe not directly, but if the themes of this movie is what inspired Indiana Jones, what do you guys think? I'll start with you, Austin. Oh man, it's a curveball. I like that. Creature curveball. Man, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think I think for I know I mean there's got I mean Steve, Steven Spielberg had to have been and George Lucas had to have been watching these movies growing up for sure. Um for sure, for sure. I know Stephen King has definitely uh, Stephen King said that the Creature from the Black Lagoon is the first movie he remembers seeing. So, you know, there's a whole generation that's growing up on these movies. Um, did it inspire Indiana Jones? You know, I think it would have inspiration on future films. I would lean toward, I would lean toward maybe the negative on that one. I don't think, I don't know if it did. I think that that vibe of the expedition uh, in the quest, um, I think, and maybe it did, but I think it. I think it more led to the mystery of what was under the water, what was under the surface, uh, in that more environmental thriller. Um, I don't know if I. That's a good question. I really haven't thought about it. So after Jug talks, I'll let you know if I change my mind. But I would say, I would say, just, just slightly, you know, same tree, different branch, you know, kind of thing. I think it's real close, but. Um, I think the expedition is, is a wonderful thing, but I think because Indiana Jones is maybe more more historical, um, this was more a little bit more of a natural discoveries we're trying to make. I would say it probably leads more toward um, uh, environmental uh, and more natural creatures and expeditions of movies to come, including including Jaws. So Steven Spielberg, yes, but maybe I don't know. I don't. I'm, I have to think on the Raiders one, but Jug might differ on that one. I, I, I kind of agree with you. I kind of agree with you. Uh, I, I'm not sure if, you know, watching the creature, uh, I, I did kind of get a, you know, like, like, like Austin said, uh, an expedition kind of up. Cause you know, that's what they were doing. They were, they're in a, they're in a jungle. They're doing their own thing. You know, things are happening. Uh, I'm not sure if Indiana Jones falls into the category of the creature black lagoon, but I think, uh, movies like this absolutely started all kinds of, uh, almost stereotypes or, or norms like uh, like for instance his his claw you know kind of slowly emerging from the water you you see it no one else sees it and then it kind of disappears uh, and then like um, hiding on the deck you know like like the scene where like they're all inside and you see his feet moving past the deck window and you know that he's on board 
it's it, it gives you a sense of dread. I, I think it's called dramatic irony when you know something that the characters don't. You know for a fact that the creature's on board, but it, you're like, oh my god! Like like it, it's almost like um like like in you know horror movies they're going into the basement. Like no, don't go into the basement. You know you know the killer's there. Like uh, you you idiot, don't go into the basement. It's it's almost like that, except that these people are are the ones being in the basement and the the creatures sneak up on them instead it's so i don't know if uh indiana jones is up there but i think that you're uh that the thought is definitely up there in that uh movies like this you know with all these different scenes and stuff i think it started a long line of uh inspiration across all kinds of different kinds of movies yeah i mean for me like i don't really think it inspired Indiana Jones and I guess what I meant by that is like you guys were saying in terms of like the expeditionist style um, but the reason why I kind of begged that question too is because if you think about it even though Indiana Jones was like an archaeologist and he was trying to unearth like you know say the lost ark in Egypt you know I really just you know can imagine you know the expedition almost being like an indiana jones type thing only instead of indiana jones finding an old artifact from the past and you know trying to run away from the german nazis of course like i can imagine him i can just imagine creature like being like a more like terrifying version of indiana jones where it's like the darker side of indiana jones of course this was you know 20 you know some years before but that's why i ask these questions because i just love different takes on what i find I feel like I could definitely see that kind of thing, uh, you know, like it maybe, uh, you know, because Indy, he goes out looking for, you know, an arc. He doesn't know that if you open it, everyone that looks at it, you know, has their soul taken out of their mouth. And he doesn't know, you know, the crystal skull would end up being an alien, you know, that, that like absorbs your power and destroys everything around it. Uh, I think I could definitely see him, you know, going on an expedition to maybe... Uh, Maybe the Black Lagoon, you know, because there's like rumors of like a, a crypt or something underwater. He goes down to do so, but there's like some kind of uh, prehistoric, you know, Gilman. He's he's there to protect it. You know, Indy opening the tomb reawakens him. I can definitely see something like that coming from an Indiana Jones movie, but maybe not straight from the source. You know, I feel like that's not really something that would go through the minds of, you know, George Lucas but uh, like Austin was saying, uh, uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, that's that's his forte. That's his thing. He's all about the like, he's all about the spooky monsters, you know, you know, dinosaurs and whatnot. Uh, I, I think I can definitely see, you know, uh, a, a super collab, what with fan fictions and whatnot about it. You know, seeing all that stuff. You know, Indiana Jones opening tomb, Gilman comes out instead of whatever coins he thought would be in there. I think that'd be a definitely enjoyable film, and I could really see it happening. You know what? I just thought of something, Parker, and, and, and Jug, that I can't believe I didn't think of when you asked this question. It's a little, it's a little off the, it's a little. I got fear off a tiny bit, but not that much. So in the early '90s, one of the several, but the. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon was supposed to get a remake. This one got really far into production. There was, uh, it, was it was supposed to be held by uh, uh, John Carpenter, like the John Carpenter, um, and uh, in the in the in the uh, uh, Rick Baker, legendary Rick, monster designer Rick Baker, designed the Gilman. You can look at the pictures. It got really far. I did a review of the script actually on UMU when it was the first article I did for the site uh, last year. Um, but in their Black Lagoon, there is a giant pyramid under the water. And the very, very peak of it is coming out of the water. Um, so you only see a little bit. And then, so the divers are going down in there 
Uh, this is, of course, more of an R-rated horror film, but they go inside the pyramid and the Gilman's got his layer in there. There's all this different, there's, there's different hier- um, hieroglyphics. They're showing there were other Gilmen and women um, in this in this race, in this tribe, in the Amazon. So that right there, Parker, is what you're talking about. And that's and I, and I, that's one of my favorite things about that script was it was like the lost civilization aspect. Now Gilman was connected to that. Instead of, instead of it being more of just a creature out there, like almost like a Sasquatch or a Nessie, um, he actually was an integral part of a, of a civilization. Uh, and last that movie did not get made. I really wish it did. But that was a really cool aspect of it. I can't believe it. I just thought of that as we were talking about this. That would have been insane to see a full civilization of Gil people. And just me imagining that. I mean, I, I of course, can do the research into this but i haven't yet but now i'm really tempted to do so because you mentioned it and like i said man the idea of gill people and like a whole civilization of them and like an under an underwater pyramid that's like their hub so to speak that's wild like i'm i'm imagining in my head like a storybook and that's crazy yeah i think like that it's almost like a it's almost like a sunken city kind of thing like you can you can bring in all kinds of things from that storyline you know almost like they were living in a kind of atlantis thing but you know other things happened you know it sank it was destroyed and i think that the that the creature movie you know the first one it, it did it, it kind of touched on that a little bit you know with him finding the hand of another gill person uh in the rock you know it, it's all fossilized i think that it's 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 very possible that that kind of the thought process went into the the, the first creature movie, and uh, I think that they kind of thought about it. You know, they kind of uh, touched on that there were other Gill people. You know, he's he's alone now, but he wasn't before. Uh, I, I think that's that's a, that's a really cool thing. Most definitely. Okay, fellas, moving on. The other point I want to mention is going beyond the land setting that we've seen in previous horror movies and previous movies, and getting more experimental. And what I mean by this is that, if I'm not mistaken, Creature from the Black Lagoon was one of the first major motion pictures that really depicted an underwater setting in addition to a land setting. So they kind of mixed the two worlds, so to speak. And I think that this is really what makes Creature so interesting, apart from everything we've already mentioned. I really, I, I always talk about it on the Eldritch Review, and I'm sure that my creeps are like, oh my god, again? But really, it's, you know, Universal always kills it with their set designing. And I think, like, this was, you know, one of the first times, you know, because this was well after the 30s, of course, this was after the 40s. This is when they had more of a chance to kind of expand and be more creative. And I wonder if that's why they were able to go under the water. I, I always think it's really cool. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, uh, it was definitely, I feel like it was definitely a big step and people are probably blown away to see so much of this film, you know, underwater, uh, how they orchestrated it. I think it was, it was probably, you know, like a, a big thing because they were used to seeing things on, on land, you know, with them, like the, like, uh, walking around, like in, like an everyday man, you know, like they're used to, to citywide, you know, villages like the Invisible Man, uh, Frankenstein, you know, they're used to things like that. And then you go underwater and they like they, uh, if I could say, dived in, uh, pun intended, uh, they, they went in head first. They were uh, they didn't just, you know, touch on that. He came out of the water. A lot of the movie, a lot of the action, in the movie was spent underwater. 
and the way that they designed it, the way that they made it, you know, water's always mysterious, you know, uh, barely any of it is explored. Uh, there's a lot, you know, to uncover in water. And I feel like uh, touching on that for the movie was probably a lot more frightening than if if the movie had taken place in a more uh, on a more land scale, you know, staying on land. I think that that the water gave it a more frightening experience. A thousand percent. Even just even the name. I mean, Black Lagoon is sounds peaceful, but sounds scary. And it's a great, great name because it holds. Um, it's a, it's a blank canvas for what can be in there. Um, so I've I actually, I feel like I can always like, remember I'm, I'm, I got all these creature ex- experiences cause I seek them out, but I've actually gotten to see a creature on, on the big screen, I think two or three times. Um, and literally all of them were in it's restored 3d, which is incredible. Um, the first time I gonna do a quick shout out all, actually all the times I've seen it were at Alamo draft house. Um, and the first time was that was I'm gonna give a shout out to the Mile High Horror Film Festival. These guys are amazing. They also orchestrated that meeting of Julie Adams for there was the 60th anniversary when I got to meet her, and so she did a Q and A and they showed the film. They even did a little special menu, which I still have, of um, uh, Gilman menu stuff for the movie. So, but you have your, you have your 3D glasses on, you know. I, you know, I'm an old school guy. You guys know this. I'm not gonna. I'm not about. You know, some CGI looks stunning. But I'm more about the practical effects. I, that's, that's the stuff. I, that's the stuff I like. This was not the kind of 3D. It was, you know, think of that. It's a very different kind of 3D that you would see with like, um, I don't know, Toy Story 4 or something. I don't know. But it's not a CGI bubble in front of your face or a kid makes a snot rocket and it flies at the screen or something. This was a layered 3D. So it's like everything in, inside the screen is further back and there's just different layers, almost like a, like a pop-up book and it's, and it's much more layered. So stuff underwater, you are you feel underwater. There are fish swimming by your face. The harpoon gun was incredible because that came right at you. They designed some of those shots where the Gilman's coming at the camera because the Gilman came at the audience. Um, and I'm, this is I might be biased, but honestly, I truly is some of the best 3d i ever saw it is so good um i think they've now restored it on blu-ray i think i have a copy of it if you have a 3d tv compatible thing you can watch it in 3d um but uh but man and the, the film in the 50s not just film underwater that extensively but a 3d camera underwater i think it'd be operated by two different guys at the same time um truly again i cannot say enough how much this film pioneered so many different things and it made it look effortless. Now we take those things for granted, but at the time, like you said earlier on, Parker, it was groundbreaking. I mean, this was really astonishing technology. It was kind of a perfect storm of everything from suit design to set design to camera work to 3D work to location. I mean, it really was kind of a perfect amalgamation of everything. Definitely, and I, I love bringing that up whenever I do these movies because, you know, the earlier Universal movies, of course, came out in the 30s, like a good chunk of them came out, of course, with the exception of Wolfman. But I really love talking about how groundbreaking these movies really are because they really just they made such big decisions and they did such big things that back then you wouldn't even think about it. You know, I mean, back in 1954, if you went up to somebody just walking down the street and said, hey, you ever heard of a 3D movie? They look at you be like, what are you talking about? But this movie, the fact that it was trying to be shot and in some theaters in big cities, with the exception of like the suburbs, they did have it in 3D in 1954. Again, like who would have thought of that? This was before 
all that we have you know i i talk about it a lot you know we we didn't have cgi we didn't have you know half of the movie making equipment that we have now in 2020 and i love bringing that up and i'm glad that you referenced that too austin yeah man i mean it, all the films did that straight from dracula straight from frankenstein stuff jack pierce did and james whale did i mean the director james whale i mean stuff from the beginning i mean it's not just creature honestly i think that's why those monsters and i'm sure this has been talked about a bunch i know steve and i talk about that's why it's in the test of time that's why we're here now from 1931 to 2020 that's why you can see that they're halloween costumes in a target i mean in, you know you see ornaments you see um i mean you, we, there's a you know, 10 or 11 universal monster projects in the works because i think they because they they weren't just really good examples of the formula they were creating the formula as they went definitely definitely all right next point is the creature inspired people to discover more urban legends like bigfoot the yeti and the loch ness monster now as i mentioned earlier jug grew up a huge fan of the loch ness monster and bigfoot he was always watching documentaries reading books i think he still does if i'm not mistaken you're very right yeah uh uh, cryptids just the idea of you know different unknown beings that you know uh, i'm gonna get carried away talking about it uh it's it's so it's just such an amazing thing to think about you know and it's not like you know i'm like oh yeah all this exists it's all out there in the world you know but uh, i'm not you know it's a lot of it is just just that it's just it's just you know legends urban legends uh i i do think however that uh parts of it you know bits and bits and pieces of the stories are true you know i i, I believe that it's possible you know you know bigfoot a, a, a humanoid creature you know kind of held from evolution uh hidden away or or nessie you know a prehistoric creature uh, almost like uh, our, our our gill boy here uh you know he kind of hidden away you know uh, biding time what with the ocean being what it is, it's very possible sea monsters still exist. Because it's not like, you know, it's not like the Kraken's going to hop out. Uh, I mean, the giant squid does exist, but, you know, like a gargantuan thing, Cthulhu's not going to come crawling out of the depths. But I think that it's possible that a, a, a large, you know, almost dangerous creature is hiding under underwater. You know, the Mothman, come on, uh, Jersey Devil, Chupacabra, I think they're possible, but extremely unlikely compared to some of these other things where it's like you look at a at bigfoot again for example you see it's 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 very it's very possible and i've steered away from creature here accidentally so let me swerve on back uh it's it's just a it's an evolutionary change somewhere down the line one cog got turned the opposite direction and that's what it made the 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 creature is just like that somewhere down human evolution something went awry and that created an entire an entirely different species and that kept evolving into you know gilman and it's still you know it's humanoid they, they came from the same you know they're all, they're all from the same pokeball there they all curled out of the same hole uh, it's just it's just you know putting them up beside each other the mirror uh it's just the same you're the same person and i think that that's just so amazing that that could exist in real life yeah i'm right i'm right there with you joe man i'm uh when i say monster kid uh i mean monster kid i've loved i mean like i'm such a cryptozoology guy you probably you guys probably don't believe me yesterday i was literally in the sasquatch outpost which is a bigfoot store museum in a little mountain town called bailey colorado um i was literally there yesterday and i'm wearing a bigfoot necklace as i believe right now um 
I love, love, love that social joke. You and I are cut from the same cloth on that, brother. Um, Gilman's a thousand percent encrypted, just by definition. Um, I and you know the ocean holds so many wonderful secrets, and I think honestly, uh, uh, Gilman came first in terms of my love of monsters. But like, I would say that I could see that why that easily fueled um, King Kong too. Why that fueled my love of cryptids because it's like the real life equivalent of the possibility and the science behind it. Um, I my stance on is kind of like Fox Mulder on X Files. I want to believe. I'm a very uh, optimistic skeptic, but um, you know I would love to see a version of. <laughs> Creature from the Black Lagoon, but it's just swapped out with Bigfoot, and they find a fossil of a hand or a dome or something, and it leads to they go down, they go down to this, they find a cul-de-sac kind of thing in the mountain where it, a ravine or something, and then they, and then there's a Bigfoot waiting there, and you know you could it, it works so well, it's a, it, it could be almost a fill in the blank, but um, I would love to have seen uh, I would love to have seen Universal tackle more of. Uh, of a cryptic cryptid kind of thing but i mean werewolves they all kind of fall into that but um i think i think yeah gilman's really is again back to that kind of environmental thing and, and that back he's of the earth and he's there and um and he's a secret he's he's tucked away where, where there's there's not maps there's he's not charted and that's that's the alluring mystery of those things is to go uncharted they say 30 percent of this continent that we're you guys and i are on is still unexplored and that's insane let alone the oceans like so I think the Gilman, and, and um, to kind of summarize it, he ends up he kind of represents a wonderful possibility that is so intoxicating to all of us. Definitely. Again, this just solidifies precisely why I wanted you guys on the show because I know you guys are huge fans of the cryptid universe. And for me personally, I definitely believe in Bigfoot. I believe in the Yeti, and I do believe in the cryptid monsters. I'm just not as much into them as you guys are but this is exactly why i wanted to talk to you guys because i know you guys have the information so thank you guys again for being here this is this is awesome of course man absolutely so jug and i talked about this yesterday austin but i wanted to kind of bring this up to you as well the next point i want to talk about is the plausibility of the creature now you guys kind of touched base on it when you were talking about the cryptid universe but Who's to say that the creature does not really exist in some body of water somewhere on this planet Earth? Uh, all right, all right, all right. I'll take the I'll take the reins on this one. Uh, we're gonna go. We're going wild right now. This is my favorite thing about the creature. This is why the creature is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, it's one of the many reasons. But oh my god, it's so possible i'm gonna try i'm gonna try i'm just gonna mm -mm, read from the script here uh don't get too excited uh possibility of a prehistoric creature hiding underwater for centuries is a lot more plausible than a werewolf or a monster made from human cadavers uh, uh hey look at the crocodile i mean i mean prehistoric you want to look at a, a prehistoric creature the turtle you know birds evolved from dinosaurs why can't there be uh, a, a different kind of evolution evolution where instead of evolving into a different thing he evolved into how to hide in the new world where he can stay the same it's so and, and like we said before uh austin like you touched on uh, uh, the water uh, earth's uh, so much of it is water and so much of the water is unexplored so who is to say that there isn't some kind of creature hiding in the water 
where we haven't looked, you know? What if they're smart enough to, you know, we, I went in looking for water. Well, what if he was in the water looking for you and he saw you before you saw him so he was able to hide, you know? And and again, that's something that you can throw in anywhere, like uh, maybe he was there, maybe he was hiding, you know? That disproves anything anyone's ever said, I, I ever. But um, I think that it's just such a cool... Like, unbelievably cool idea. Uh, lots of people get scared by it, but I just, I love it so much that, you know, I'll be sitting in my room, I'll just be hanging out, and I'll think, like, hmm, I wonder if there's a monster in the water. And then I go into this big old train of thought, I, I lose I lose control of the train I'm going on, it's, it's, it's steering out of control, hitting all these different points, like, water's unexplored, crocodiles, you know, all the things I already said. It's, it's, it's just so, uh, thinking about it, it's, it's just fun. It's it's a really fun thought. I mean, let's not forget the words of Captain Lucas in the film, who when they were talking about the possibility of the skill man and what they're seeing because they're trying to get the photograph that's not working out, and he says, "Even I, Lucas, have heard of this man fish." You know that came from, you know, the whole. I mean, I'm sure you might touch on this, Parker, in your in your in some of the uh, trivia, but the whole there would be no creature without this one dinner i believe it was a producer william adland i might be saying his name wrong I might be adding a d in there where he someone at the at the, at the uh, i might be paraphrasing a little bit but someone at the dinner mentioned hearing a story um just like this um in the amazon of of a being that's the, of, a, of a man that breathed both fish or that, that was that could breathe uh, underwater like a fish and, and you know so it came from a real story and that sparked in william's mind um and got the motors turning and just, so you know there are it's not a specific legend it was more of which i think is even cooler it's not like we know bigfoot this was like a very cool small local legend that he heard of and was like okay like you know hollywood hollywood hollywoodized it a little bit i suppose but you know that's but it came from a real thing it wasn't just a dream he had which is great too but it was um, it came from like an, uh, a more uh, a very organic <laughs> way. It just, and I think that's just a, this is a great movie making. You, you take the small seed and then you plant it, and what, what comes out of it? Here we are, decades later. Um, so you know, Jug, you know, Jug touched on that. Is it, the whole concept of the movie is based on the premise that this might be a real thing? Because kind of hard to mistake that. You know, it's not like oh, that's a manatee. You know, it's 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 like oh no, nope, that, that's I know what I saw. Um, and I think that's one of the coolest and most alluring, scary parts about that story is that there, there is a rich history of people in that area that have seen the Gill Man and understand what it is, and they don't go in the Black Lagoon. They know you don't go there. There are legends of the man fish, you know, and um, so plausibility, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, what is this? What does Shakespeare say? There's more, more. Uh, philosophy in your in heaven and earth and in your philosophy ratio you know i think there's more in heaven or, there's more in heaven and earth than in your philosophy ratio and i think um i say never say never absolutely well fellows i can say for confidence that i 110 percent believe in the idea of a gill man or a man fish or whatever we want to call them i believe in it 100 percent because to go off of jug's point and your point austin you know, you guys constantly kept saying, you know, who's to say that it doesn't exist? You're absolutely right. The nobody knows, and it's not for us to say because we don't know the truth. I mean, science hasn't proven that they don't exist. And honestly, 
I think scientists and oceanographers and marine biologists and all these people that explore like the oceans and the lakes and the lagoons and all the bodies of water, I think they're afraid because wouldn't you be like deathly afraid? I mean, there's only a certain depth you can go in the ocean before, you know, you explode essentially. But I think scientists are afraid. You know what I mean? Because I think that they have, a, they're like us, they have these conversations, they have these thoughts all the time. And I think that they, man, just, I can imagine a scientist being like, I'm not going under that ocean. Oh, hell no. You know? Right. It's, it's, it's uh, like you just said, it's the people, they really don't want to find it. You know, it's their job to go looking for us, but there's so many people. And I think I, even I'm in the list there is that, you know, it's such a cool thought, you know, these things very well could exist, but God, I really don't want it to. I don't want there to be some, you know, like, even though the creature, you know, he, he did kill, you know, he did his thing, but that was him, you know, that was him fighting. That's you kind of a dog biting you if you go for its food bowl, you know, it's acting instinctively. He saw something that he felt was going to put him in danger. He felt threatened, and as thus he attacked. I think that if you let that loose, in the world you know you know what i mean you know i'm looking for it here he uh it would be bad it would be very bad and that really isn't something that i i think i'm more comfortable thinking about how it could exist uh, a little bit I, i'd be more uncomfortable if i knew for a fact it did exist because then that proves that there are other things in the water and that proves that you know swimming in the ocean swimming in you know a little lake like that it isn't safe because look at the Gilman. He's real. He exists. These things, I think the world would change so much if someone found a, a, a creature like that. Everything, the norms, the stereotypes, you know, a lot of things would change. And I think that that's, that's pretty cool. But again, I don't know that I'd want to, I don't know that I'd want to find that either. If I was a scientist, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go digging there if I, if I suspected that there would be something there, I'd be like, mm, okay, uh, leave that to somebody else, you know what I mean? It's like that, you know, the one of the most memorable scenes in Creature from the Black Lagoon is Kay Lawrence, or, or the actress Julie Adams, um, swimming and doing that wonderful just stroke and casually just swimming, and Gilman's mirroring her right underneath her. Um, that is one of the most memorable, if not the most memorable scene of the entire film, and it kind of clues in people's brains when they see it, because it is gorgeous. Whether you apply yourself in that moment of swimming and not knowing there's that swimming below you, even if it doesn't mean you any harm, is a very, 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 very unsettling idea. Um, I think we've all been there. I grew up watching Jaws and its sequels and being a little freaked out of the deep end when I was a kid. I mean, I, I love swimming and I will still go in, but like, you got your goggles on, you get down there, even in a swimming pool, it's clear and it's safe. It's a pool for Pete's sake. And you still kind of have that vibe of, shark coming around the corner so yeah the um let alone a black lagoon in the middle of the amazon and going swimming and crocodiles and piranha and all the other things that are in there or alligators excuse me um but yeah so i think that's that's partially why the the gilman just probably made the entire era of monster kids freak have that same vibe of going in the pool and putting on their goggles and being there it's like it was a gilman down here uh, he's gonna reach out for me he's I'm, I'm, you know that was a different kind of fear because there's you're swimming on the surface and you're scared to do that because you don't know if he's in that down there below you and swimming alongside you and you know um and i think that's uh that's a very uh 
I think it's a feeling that doesn't really ever leave you, even if your your rationality and your is there and you're swimming. I think it stays with you. I think that you know better. You know better. You know there's not a 25 foot great white shark in this pool. You know there's not a prehistoric gila man underneath you, but there's that thought that there might be there, and I think that's uh, that's the power of film. I will say this: if Jaws was enough to scare the crap out of people enough to make sure they don't go in the ocean or they don't swim i guarantee to you if scientists discover a gill person or any form of hybrid of gill person nobody is gonna go near a body of water again unless it's their own swimming pool where they know that there's no creature under there but an ocean a lake a lagoon a stream doesn't a brook it doesn't matter what it is they're not touching it they're not looking at it they're like nope 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 they see water they're like you're good okay i'll see you later well we touched base on it but i kind of want to expand more on it if we could is really the fear of the unknown so the oceans as we know are not explored or they're not discovered the way that maybe they could be you know scientists scientists have tried to debunk it scientists have tried to figure out what really is under there but we really don't know what is under there i was watching a documentary about it the other day in preparation for this episode and it it startled even me i mean i love the ocean more than the next guy but to think about how deep the ocean really is it's terrifying and you know like you were saying earlier jug like it's crazy to think that you know we all you know we evolved from cave people dinosaurs you know were the first pioneers and then from dinosaurs came birds and modern day creatures that we know and love today so who's to say that underneath the ocean there's not anything still from prehistoric times that's still out there maybe it's just hiding because you know maybe it likes the dark i don't know that oh it's scary to think about that it's scary but it's cool right i i, I really agree you know uh a little while back uh, let me let me take this uh, a little bit of a personal round i was younger and i would you know i was scared of you know somebody in my bedroom you know the lights would be off i'd think i see something i'd be lying there in bed like thinking to myself like like there's nobody in here. I just turned on the lights two minutes ago. I just got back into bed. I searched the entire room. There's nothing in here. There's no way anything could get in here. It's it's unrealistic. But then the lights turn off, and then you're scared. It's 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 humans humans need knowledge. You know they crave it like more than anything else. Without knowledge, there's just a void that most people can't really accept. You know they don't accept that there's something here that they don't know. So they, so they fear it. And I feel like this movie does really fall right in there, you know, with a mysterious murky lake in a secluded jungle. You know, uh, who knows what's hiding in there, you know? It, there's there's so many things that 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 are just, just just scary, really, you know? Even like like Austin said, you know, you're you know that there's not, you know, a 25-foot shark underneath you. You know there's not going to be a, a giant dead body monster walking down the street behind you you know all these things you know it's not real you know it's just a movie but it really resonates with you in this movie a lot of the universal movies really do you know sink in you like they they they, they leave a mark on you and and it's it's a lot of fun to deal with well it's not fun to deal with at the time but looking back it is it's a fun it's a fun memory kind of thing i mean and think of 
speaking of our earth, I mean, I'm thinking of it's not going back to scary bodies of water. I mean, I have no intention of going down deep into the Marina Trench and stuff, but you know, this, you know, you see these documentaries and you see, you hear these, these interviews with these guys, men and women who go down in these submersibles and they go way down there where it is pitch black and they get lights down there. It is alien down there. It is so alien. It is so the colors that exist when there's no sunlight and the creatures that exist and they can create their own light in their in their own um, illumination. I mean, uh, and, and just the whole entire, almost like a small universe that is down there. I mean, so yeah, I think the water is the key. I think the water is the key, and and uh, in terms of like on our own planet of, of alien life, but then beyond it. I mean, like so. I think we still are. Um, you know, here I am. I, I just thought of it. I think. Um, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. David Reed, played by Richard Carlson in the Creature from Black Lagoon, he even says, "We haven't even begun to explore what's like below us, let alone like above us." Kind of thing. They're talking about space travel, and they're still. T- and I'm paraphrasing, but he's talking about the water still holds so many secrets. Um, and I think we are in a wealth of information that I think, even though it's 2020, we have this and this. We have, you know, we our phones and our watches and all this stuff, and our cars are smart. You know, we still don't know a ton. And cryptids and alien life and ocean life, I think it all kind of rolls into it. Definitely, guys. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I don't have really a fear of like water or like a pool, you know, because I've seen Creature from the Black Lagoon and I've seen Jaws and I'm not afraid of, oh God, like what could be under this water? I guess I've never had a fear of water because I'm so comforted by it. I will say though, if there's anything that freak that freaks me out, that fear of the unknown, it's aliens or extraterrestrials. And I'm not talking about ET. You know, Jug, our mom is deathly afraid of ET, but but I'm not afraid of ET. I'm afraid of the friggin' Roswell gray men, like really tall with their scraggly fingers. And oh hell no, nope, nope, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm I'm with you in that thought. Like, I, I I'll go swimming. You know, I'm not afraid of water. I'm not gonna go swimming in the middle of the ocean, though. I'm not gonna. Oh, let's let's go for let's go for a little swim in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's not gonna happen. I would be scared of that. You know, there are things in there that we know of that that that's that's terrifying. Bad things can happen. You know, I'm not gonna go doing that. But I'm not afraid to get into the swimming pool. You know, I'm not afraid to go for a little a little a uh, couple laps in the lake. Uh, I'm just not gonna go out to somewhere that. You know, we know where things are, and I know where these things are, and what they what they do, and you know, it, it frightens me. It's 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 more concerned for my health than frightening, I guess. But um, yeah, we're we're spending so much of our resources, our smarts on on you know our phones, our cars, you know, buildings. You know, oh, bring your entire car to your door, please stay inside. You know, we're gonna get to the point where. Like, you know, everybody thinks about it. We can look at the movie Idiocracy, for example. We, you know, we are going to get to a point in civilization where we're just not going to care anymore. We have everything that we want, that we need in front of us. Those intellectual few that crave the knowledge are going to go looking for it without proper materials and they're going to die off. It's going to be the extinction of anyone that has a brain. It's going to be awful. And I can 100% see it happening with all these, you know, all these lazy things that we're dropping on ourselves instead of. Uh, at least in my brain, I think we should be spending more time trying to get underwater. And I know there are people that are trying to do that. You know, there are lots of things that are, 
you know, organizations that are working on getting underwater. You know, we've got all these different things that are trying to go into space. Uh, you know, we've got things on it. I just feel like more attention should be spent on those things. You know, maybe more mashing of forces. You know, take the biggest brains and put them together and go underwater. Uh, I mean, it's there for a reason, right? Let's 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 freaking go in it. Absolutely, you guys are so smart, <laughs> man. This is this is awesome. Now, one thing I really love to talk about when I do the Eldritch review, and I really want to get your guys' take on it as well is really the response so now in 1954 it was huge obviously it was one of the first movies in 3d the audiences were scared the audiences were happy because universal just put out another creature feature another monster movie but what i love even more is not only was this movie huge in the 1950s but it's even bigger now in the 2020s you know in the we'll say the 21st century, you know, and this is kind of what I was talking about before is I really love monsters and creatures and characters that can really be so bulletproof and survive, for lack of a better word, survive well into after their movie is released. I mean, there have been horror movies in this century that have been so terrible. People will watch them and be like, oh my God, never, ever again. You know, I've seen a few of those, of course, in my day. But what I love is that these mo these monsters, you would think that a lot of people would think, oh, this is cheesy, this is dumb, whatever, but no. Look at people like the three of us. Look at the Universal Monsters universe. Look at Brian from Uni Monsters. Like, look at people who, you know, we're various ages. I mean, Austin, you're in your 30s. I'm in my 20s. Jug, you're almost 16. You'll be 16 in a month. Like... It, it really shows no age, it shows no gender, it shows no signs of stopping. And I think that this is amazing. So, what do you guys think? What's your take? I, I, uh, I'm gonna say an opinion here. Opinion that's going to uh, anger a lot of people, it's gonna really stir the pot here. But the reason I feel that the Gilman, other Universal movies are so big right now, it's because movies right now are kind of garbage like look at the tv now you know you've got all these these remakes they're redoing shows because kids have really um kids have really they've been dumbed down i'm not gonna say kids are stupid because that's not true but kids have been dumbed down for safety you know there's all these parents that look back on what they watch as kids that were totally fine like oh oh my god this is awful you know <laughs> ed and eddie uh the Marvel's Best Adventures of Flapjack. You know, these things are disturbing to look at now that we're able to comprehend what they are. But back then, that wasn't the kind of thing where the parents were like, uh, you can't watch that, that's insane. They they throw it on and they walk away as kids, you loved it. But now kids are are dumbed down to the point where every 10 seconds there needs to be, you know, like a fart joke or crazy colors, you know, loud noises. If you know, it's it's it TV has grown down and well that that is true tv that is steered towards teenagers and adults has kind of gone up you know horror movies have become something so you know like like it used to be where horror movie if you were watching a horror movie it meant uh a there's gonna be a lot of blood and b there's gonna be some nudity that's what it meant back then now when you're watching a horror movie you don't know what you're getting into with all these different directors doing the different things you know bloom house is taking a real uh, a very realistic turn with it and then you've got uh uh 
Jordan Peele, his movies are amazing. His movies are, are suspenseful, you know? You've got all these all these directors going different directions. You can take so many different paths. And and uh, Creature and the other Universal movies, they started doing this a lot earlier. And a lot of them were directed by the same people, but but they're so different at the same time, you know? None of them were really... You know, you can't watch one and think, hmm, this is the same as this other movie. You know, they're all totally different films by the same people with the same people playing so many different parts. It's 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 such a it's such an amazing thing to look at. And when you really think about it, though, you know, you're watching it. Oh, this is a good movie. You watch another one. Good movie. When you sit back, you know, you lean back and you look at all the things you just watched like, wow, was this all by the same guy? I couldn't tell, you know, uh, same set. Only when you look at it a second time do you realize it. You know, they they are so good at being so different. And that's exactly what we yeah, need right know, now. Speaking, we were talking about the lasting impact and what what's still going on here. After all this time, I think, I don't know if it's attributed to any one thing. I think, you know, like I mentioned earlier in the beginning of this, that you had that wonderful wonderful 90s resurgence i mean i don't know i don't know if you'll remember that Doug, but i mean i might have heard about it but when i was a kid burger king had universal monster like happy meal toys and those to this day i think people my age those are some of the most memorable and just, just badass ones i mean good look you know wolfman happy are you kidding me so um I think the resurgence and then they got the Doritos ads and Mountain Dew ads. That was in the 90s. And I mean, it's just incredible. And I think part of it is too, it's Universal Studios themselves. I mean, the monsters have their own cafe. They have, the, the park has very much kept them alive. Um, Halloween Horror Nights. I did not get to go until last year. Of course, I had to go because it was one of the featured houses was Universal Monsters. And I'm actually, so I'm, I'm, I am a horror kid. I'm a monster kid. Weirdly enough, I don't do great in haunted houses, but I had to go. Um, it was a great year. Ghostbusters, Us, Stranger Things. They had a Yeti one, by the way, Jug. It was uh, really scary. Um, but everyone has, every, and I kept hearing everybody, a fan favorite, maybe the favorite, was the Universal Monster House. Um, and I think that is, and for a good reason. You guys can watch a walkthrough of it, and you'll see why. It is so cool. Um and I, I think, again, a million things. I think it's just, there is a desire for these things. I mean, look at Mondo, the incredible uh, company Mondo. They create these um, artist prints and a uh, bottleneck gallery as well. Uh, they, they just create, they just came out with a one six scale Gilman. Of course, I, I, I'm gonna get it. Um, the first one ever of that size. They have these amazing posters that sell out in seconds. Um, I mean, there is there is a drive for these things. I think because they're iconic. I think because they are the original. I think because Universal keeps them alive. I think because of the '90s resurgence, we were exposed to them in a really wonderful way. People my age, and our parents and our grandparents were right there during that resurgence, and they were buying the tapes with us. My dad was renting those tapes because my dad watched them on TV growing up. So I think it's a wonderful chain of events, and a wonderful just passing on the torch. That has been continued to now Halloween Horror Nights. I mean, featuring music <laughs> orchestrated for that hollow for that house uh, by Slash. I mean, so I, there's a million amazing things uh, that are keeping it alive. And the most important thing is it is being kept alive. It's alive, but you know, I um, I don't think it's a one. I think it. I think it is a fan base that just keeps it going that's what they want and then people respond to it and go okay well we'll give you more monsters and we get more and more and more and more um 
So I think it's a really big, wonderful combination and takes a village to keep it going. I mean, the board game that came out last year, Horrified, I mean, you can go on and on and on. The monsters are very much alive. And as you said, Parker, probably more alive than they ever have been. Absolutely. Let's talk about somebody you did meet, Austin. Let's talk about Miss Julie Adams, the original Scream Queen. Oh, man. Um, you want me to take it away? Do you, do you want to do you want to, you want to do you have anything? I'm sorry to interrupt you. You want me to take it away? Hey, take it away, man. You're the one that has the story. Let's hear from you. Okay, so this is I've I've been a volunteer at Denver Comic Con. I've been able, so I've been a devout, loving uh, supporter of the um, uh, uh, visiting uh, person. I don't know part, participant of the Malay Horror Film Festival. Um, this is my number one. All the people I've got to meet, I've had some wonderful, wonderful experiences. Many of them were horror people. Um, this is number one. So I heard that they announced for the 60th anniversary, 60th anniversary, there, I think it was uh, 2014, uh, that they were going to have Julie there. And they were going to screen it. She was there one day, and they were going to screen uh, Julie. Um, and they were going to screen Creature, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And, of course, I was like, I'm all there. I'm so there. I'm so there. Um, so so the moment happens, and I actually happen to be outside the time. She, she pulls out her son. His name's Mitch. He's a really nice guy. Uh, they come. They come in. I'm right there, and I'm just like in awe. I mean, she's gorgeous, and she looks just like she did. She's just sweet, looks sweet as can be, and uh, I am in awe. I have like a, I have my green creature uh, shirt on that I had an iron-on patch that I had done like iron-on screen front kind of thing that had the original poster and had her on, of course, because she's in the poster. Creature's holding her underwater, and she's screaming underwater. Um, and uh, so my time comes. She's got her, she's got an autobiography called Reflections, um, uh, or Lucky Lucky Southern Star Reflections from from the Black Lagoon. Beautiful book. Um, and there she is. And I'm next in line. And you know, I try to play it cool. You know, I didn't gush or freak out or anything, and I didn't. But I don't know. I honestly don't remember a lot of what I said. Um, the, the story gets much better. I promise. Uh, it was just, but at the same at the same thing at the same time. I remember the way the sun lit the room in the lobby of the Alamo Draft House. Um, I remember posing there. Uh, we have a great photo together. I'll send that to you, Parker. Um, I'm holding her book. She signed my book. I also got a signed photo of her and Gilman. She wrote, nice to meet you, Austin, on it. Um, just absolutely touching. Just sweet as can be. Just I, I don't want to be weird, but just like an elegant grandma. I mean, just um, so kind, but she just looked. It was her. It was There she was. Um you know, you loved her for 20 years, and there she is. So I had befriended somebody later on in the in the convention, in the day or the day prior, who worked for Fangoria magazine. And I said, you know, this is the 60th, 60th anniversary of Gilman of, of Creechy, and I have I looked it up. You guys haven't really touched him much recently. She was like, what? I was like, mean, you got Julie right here. You got to do something. She's like, yeah. And she was so cool. She went and talked to her editor and came back. And she was like, yep, I'm going to interview her. You want to help me? And I'm like, uh, you know, I got to pick up my jaw off the ground. And yeah, yeah. First of all, I just got deputized by Fangoria Magazine. So yes, please. Second, I'm now going to interview Julie. And there are some cool pictures of that too that, my, that a friend of mine took at the time. Um, and uh, she's held her phone out, my friend did from Fangoria. And just we just talked about it, and she answered some of that later in the Q and A as well. Um, but she talked about because she did a movie with Elvis, Elvis Presley. She did, um, I believe it was, um, I believe it was Tickle Me. If I'm not mistaken. It was actually a, a, a 
bit in the movie with the haunt with the haunted house and she's one of the girls said he was a southern gentleman she did a lot with jimmy stewart um jimmy stewart is for for point of reference of course is the main character and it's a wonderful life but he did a million different things in a million western a lot of alfred hitchcock and um it was actually very sweet later on in the q a i think she'd forgotten at a memory lapse that she had already said a few things about jimmy stewart so she kept on repeating her love of jimmy stewart and it kind of made us all giggle a little bit because it was clear that she like really loved jimmy stewart um and she actually plays wife on the jimmy stewart show because she also she, julie did equal parts horror conventions because of gilman and uh western conventions or classic film conventions because she did a lot of westerns uh she did movies with rock hudson i mean she's just incredible she was this kind of golden age of cinema that was still with us and that was back when universal assigned actresses and assigned their actors so she was assigned creature so she thought it was dead end she was like oh no i'm in a horror movie you know and at the time universal's big biggest makers were their horror and their Abbey and costello movies um i've read that um i read in uh that uh um luke costello's daughter's book about luke costello of course as you mentioned i'm a huge fan of them uh, that their movie uh, Buck Privates, which came out during World War II, pretty much saved the studio. There wouldn't be a Universal Studios. So, I mean, it was, it was comedy and horror that was keeping Universal afloat. So, but she still wasn't crazy about being in this movie. Um, but she has come to just, she came to just absolutely treasuring it. Um, and they posted the article on Fangoria. At the end, it says she tagged me, my friend tagged me in it for helping with that with the interview. Um, so, you wouldn't know I'm asking it during while you're reading it but there are pictures of me leaning in and talking to her while we're doing the interview and i think i asked the bulk of the questions uh um you know i, I did a lot of theater stuff and it was you know advice to, to actors and um she was just so gracious constantly smiling um just so warm so so warm and she then her son was helping and he was talking to us as lot as, as well and helping kind of facilitate and you know make it hard to hear it was a very loud convention in there and it wasn't it was actually pretty intimate but there's still a lot of people in there and we did we did the sold out sold out q a and there she was and um she was talking about it and she, she just had that room in the palm of her hand and um i remember walking away when i first met her before the interview and i i got a tear in my eye just just from being moved having you know the this just this wonderful presence that's been there my whole life and um and uh i love 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 that picture you can see my big dumb grin um just kind of beside myself um but uh so all in all all in all in summation yeah it ended up being ended up being sweeter than i ever anticipated getting to interview her on behalf of angori magazine the article did come out on the it was online it didn't go i don't think it went in an actual issue it was an online exclusive for the 60th anniversary but um and uh, she's there one day only and uh but uh yeah it's something i will never ever ever forget and it's as you can understand why it's my number one famous meeting i've ever had absolutely like this is exactly why i wanted to have you on this show austin because you have the stories you have the memorabilia you have everything that's ever been done from creature from the black lagoon and you know that's why i really wanted you to tell this story because you your story is so impactful you know what i mean not everybody had that opportunity that you had and i thank you for sharing your story that I, I i really thoroughly enjoyed it thank you brother i mean the, the moral of it is I mean i all, all that came from that was me speaking up saying hey you know you guys should do this and then 
and then one thing led to another. So I mean, and originally, you know, I made one of my good friends was on that kind of the, the admin of the Smile High Horror Film Festival, and and I had mentioned him the year prior about doing more vintage uh, horror films, and he knew I loved Creature, and I saw it on the dock, and I saw him later. I'm like, was that you? And he's like, yeah, I might have done that. So I mean, just 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 speaking your mind, just speaking from the heart. You, you never know what comes of it. That's really that's really I think the main takeaway is you just expect just like just like just like going to the Black Lagoon, expect the unexpected, and just be able and wait and just um, embrace the magic that that could happen. Absolutely. Well, saving the best discussion point for last, fellas, let's talk the Gill Man. So what do you want to? Yeah. So what do you want to? You you want um his dinner habits? What, what, what just anything? Anything you want, man. This is your movie. Oh man. Um. Uh, first and foremost, I gotta give a. I have no fl- affiliation with this, but I gotta give a quick plug for anyone, including Parker and Jug here. Um, a must-read for creature fans is Mallory O'Meara's book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon. Um, that came out last year. It's a brand new book. It is absolutely stunning. It tells the story of Millicent Patrick, who designed Creature from the Black Lagoon, one of the only female major monster movie designers. Um, and got absolutely buried by history. Um, some people didn't. People knew about her. If you got, if you got those legacy editions of the monsters that came out with Van Helsing and they got re-released later, the documentaries on those are wonderful. The commentaries with Tom Weaver are. I listen to them all the time. They do mention Mal, Mal but Mal, but not until Mallory O'Meara, who had no affiliation with uh, Melissa except for loving her, went out and painstakingly researched everything about her. Um, she was one of the first female uh, 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 Disney animators. Worked on Fantasia. She designed other creatures, which we, we did know about. She did. She worked on. It came from outer space. The Metaluda Mutant, I'm trying, as you guys are aware of. And of course, Abby Costello, me, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. She created the Mister Hyde. Um, and because she was so, but Gilman was her baby. She literally called him my baby. And she got so burned by the studio, the head of the studio, specifically Bud Westmore who took all the credit, even though it wasn't really doing much, and took credit for her design and was so jealous of her. People loved her because she was photogenic and she wanted to be an actress and she was so talented and an artist. He was so jealous of her, he wouldn't let her have the spotlight and threaten her job. So it was just horrible, horrible, horrible treatment. And she left the industry and Mallory O'Meara, the story takes place, it tracks uh, Millicent's life uh, clear up until the end because we didn't even know how she passed away, uh, her family. I mean, so the book is, there's an audiobook of it, Mallory reads it herself. Um, it's remarkable, remarkable story. And her family ancestors, you guys know, you guys are familiar with Citizen Kane, I'm assuming, right? Um, based on the real life counterpart, her father was the architect of that whole land. The word Citizen Kane takes place. I mean, I mean just, it was, it, anyway, so I, I can go on, I can go again, like, like Jack would say, tangent town is what I call it. I go on these tangents, population me, but going back to, so anyway, that book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, you guys got to read it. Um, it goes well into a history of the Gill Man um, and a love letter to a lost figure of history that should never have been lost and making her found again. So very, very good book. Um, but yeah, so Gill Man is just iconic. He's just so good. He looks so cool. Rico Browning, which I, I'm sure Parker saw, I just got an autographed picture from him. He said uh, he was under, he was the underwater um, Gill Man. And that swim, that side to side motion is so simple but so brilliant. Ben Chapman, big sweetheart, he's since passed away. Uh, Rico Browning still with us. Ben Chapman on land, um, and then in, in the sequels, it was a different guy on land, but always Rico underwater um, for all three films. I uh, call it the Black Lagoon trilogy. Um, 
uh, I think I think honestly, some one thing that's never talked about with Gilman, the roar. I think I'm a big roar guy. Um, I think he's got one of the coolest roars. Uh, we don't talk about. I think I think it's different combinations of different animal sounds, including like a pig. Uh, really scary roar, especially when you don't see it come out of him. Especially in that scene where you just see that big baseball glove mitt uh, hand grabbing the guys in the tent and then just getting thrashed around. Um, that roar, it just screaming out. And that is so scary and so good. Um, the swim style. Um, there's a lot of emotion. Even when he gasps for breath, he's looking around and his eyes don't blink. His eyes don't move. But yet, that's that's um, that's Ben Chapman and Rico underneath that. I mean, it just it really spoke. And honestly, the last thing I would say, and I want I could talk all night about it. And I want I want I I, I want to. I got we got to wake Jug up in a second here so he can answer this because I've been talking for so long. Sorry guys, but you know, is it's he's one of the only Universal monsters. You can make the argument they're all tragic, but Gilman's not really the villain. Um, he is kind of the victim. He does go for the girl, and that's not okay. Um, it's and there are good scientists in it. There's not really as much bad scientists in that movie, but you root for the Gilman. He's home. He's just home doing his thing, and they show up. And so they're getting and they're drugging the water, and they're, and they're, and they're taking the net, and they're getting him in. The, you know, and they don't mean to do that originally, but then they do. Like 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 uh, Richard Carlson says, we you know we're not equipped to fight monsters. We didn't we didn't come here to fight monsters. We're not equipped for it. You know, to them he's a monster, and to, down below, you know, they're a monster. You know, he's, um, and that's again, I'm, as you guys know, I'm a big animal lover. I mean, that just goes back to any kind of animal. That translates to now. I mean, um, just doing their thing. They don't. We don't need to be involved, and and, and that's the scary thing. Is just you know, the real monster in that film is humanity. Um, uh, we. It's one of the few movies where you, I think you can argue we root for. We do root for. Um, Frankenstein, we do root for uh, the Wolfman, but I think there's arguments to be made, though, that they still have those moments. Gilman, pretty much, you know, he's really provoked, and he's really just, um, I think one of the few monsters where you really do just root for him through and through and through, and it, and, and it doesn't deserve what's coming to him. And the whole trilogy is really sad, really, especially the third one. Crazy sad. Um, we mess with him so bad. Um, and I think he's an underdog. I think there's something, you know, how resilient he is to overcome it. He wants the same things we do. We want love. We want companionship. We don't want to be alone. And he fights for that. Um, again, not a way. Um, and, you know, hopefully there's a female lady creature out there for him. But uh, fast forward to Shape of Water, you know, as we guys talk about that. But. But yes, yeah, so anyway, sorry, so many points, so many things. The design, I love his history, I love his environmentalism, I love that he's not really a villain. Um, I, I love his look, his look is so cool. Um, I think, uh, again, it goes back to that original. And I mean, you see Swamp Creature Legos, Lego men, that just kind of look like Gilman. Um, and she just nailed that design. She nailed it. I think it was, she didn't even have to, uh, Millicent Patrick, I mean, she didn't even have to tweak it much. I think where she designs what they did. I mean, and then she was on set. Well, she wasn't a designer. She was on set painting the suit and touching it up. I mean, she really cared for him and cared after the suit. Um, and then, you know, he Rico Browning would be swimming underwater, no scuba tank. They'd bring a hose down in between shots and Rico would breathe through the air hose. And then off to filming again, he'd hold his breath for a couple minutes. He had a great lung capacity. I mean, so just, I mean, from design to performance to aesthetic to script, um, I think Gilman's just extremely captivating. I I really agree with you. Uh, we've talked about it a couple times, and I, I still feel strongly about it, is uh, how the Gilman is 
he's so uh, possible. The existence of him is so uh, it, it's it's plausible, and I really love that. And uh, I, I really I really like yeah like 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 you said, Austin. He's really not the villain. He's emerged from his home to find new and 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 essentially scary things. You know, there are these uh, creatures he hasn't seen in a like ever. I'd assume that he's never really seen a human. You know, he's been hiding underwater. Uh, he was disturbed and he came out and he saw these new things invading his home. And he thought, he, he, he uh, you know, he fought back. He kind of retaliated. He felt threatened and he, uh, he, he fought it because, you know, he, he was scared. He was frightened. He, it really is just, it's a tragic, it's a tragic thing, really, when you think about it. You know, when you when you first watch it, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, it's a scary monster. He's the bad guy. He's the villain. And essentially he is, I guess, you know, the antagonist of the movie, but not the villain. Antagonist, not the villain. And I like the way that works out. It's 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 he is the thing that pushes the movie and the 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 protagonist need to push back. You know, that's 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 what he is. He just isn't he isn't like, you know, the bad guy per se. And I feel like uh, when you really sit down and think about it, you know, uh, having lost his entire species, you know, as far as we know, no more exist. At least, at least with this movie, we know that no more. There are no more Gilmen. You know, it's just him, and that's 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 sad. Like he's the last remaining piece of of an entire puzzle, and they are all just gone. And then all of a sudden, new puzzles roll, and new people come out of nowhere. And he doesn't know what to think, and and you know he's been alone for such a long time, you know it. Brought, he probably got a little stir crazy in the lake, you know, in the in the lagoon, and now it's all. I, I just think I disagree with Austin Big everything, pretty much everything he said. I, I would have just said the same thing. Uh, tragic character, uh, and he's not the villain. I, I I love the character a lot. Definitely, fellas. Well, this has been such a fun discussion, but before we go. I found some interesting facts, as I always do here on the Eldritch Review. These facts come straight out of IMDb, of course, Internet Movie Database. So, fellas, you would you like to learn some interesting facts? What you got? Let's do it. Number one, Julie Adams performed all of her own stunts for this film. She didn't have a stunt double. I don't think I knew that for sure. I know, I know, um, I think Grace Stanley was her water double because they filmed under the waters in Florida, top levels in Universal. Um, and I noticed that there's a great uh, uh, shot where Gilman was carrying her. Uh, ben, Ch ben Chapman was carrying her and, and he can't see hardly anything. And he's in his grotto in that cave and he accidentally bangs her head trying to turn a corner. There's a great shot of her on the ground and medic is, is touching up her head and she's okay. And Gilman, very concerned Ben Chapman is kneeling down, creatures, you know, concerned over her. So I believe it. I believe that she's, you know, she's being you know, because uh, kind of have to. Swimming Florida, she had to have somebody else. But yeah, I I, I believe it. She's a pretty badass lady. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think back at, at the stunts I saw, but, you know, I think it's impressive, yeah, when people do their own things. You know, there's there's always a couple things thrown into a movie. You know, you've got uh, uh, the little girl in Frankenstein tossed into the lake, uh, yeeted into the water, you know. Uh, you got things like that throughout the rest of it, you know, other movies and stuff. And uh, I think it's always impressive when people do their own stunts because stunt doubles are trained. You know, they, they take they, that's how they spend their lives, you know, 
preparing for things, things like that. And actors don't do that. They're there to act. Nothing's supposed to be real. So when actors do their own their own stunts, I always I always find it impressive. Most definitely. How about this one, fellas? Number two, the creature using the name Uncle Gilbert appeared in an episode of the TV series The Munster in 1964. The episode is entitled Love Comes to Mockingbird Heights. Yeah, I've seen it. It's real goofy um, because the gill man's mouth, it's the same mask. It wasn't designed to speak. It's a very like, hi guys, how you doing? It's a very like normal, like goofy voice. Um, There's an action figure of him too. He's got a great hat and a scarf because it's it's just, I think, gloves and face. So they had to kind of cover up his seam. So he's very, he's wearing lots of coats and stuff. Um, it's a hoot. They talk about Uncle Gil- Gilbert the whole time, the whole episode, and then he shows up at the end. And it's 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 definitely part of the uh, uh, rich Gilman history. It's a trip. Yeah, it's that's pretty funny. Like taking something <laughs> at the time, such a scary thing, and tossing him into something like the monsters. You know, he just kind of hops in. He yeah, he's got like a like a little. I can see him in like a little like plaid coat. He kind of hops in. He's holding his little brother like, "Hey guys, how's it going?" You know, that'd be. That would be such a such a mind like a mind blowing experience. Like, oh, I just saw you murdering people. What are you doing here? It's like, oh, what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I, that's ridiculous, and I love it. Monsters definitely did a really good job of taking monsters that maybe people were afraid of, or maybe they were fascinated by, and really giving them like a personality. Like, of course, Herman Munster was Frankenstein's monster. Lily Munster and her father were Dracula, and of maybe dracula's daughter like a vampire um of course eddie was a vampire and then there's the normal daughter marilyn who we all love i i don't know about you fellas but i'm a diehard monsters fan 100 percent. i honestly prefer the monsters over the adams family i i'm putting that out there <laughs> we're not gonna dive into this conversation because this is go for a while i i uh, you know parker you and i we grew up with both of them really uh adam's family was it was it was a big reflection of us entirely and so was the monsters really it was it's hard to argue with the two of them i think that they're they're so alike but they're so different at the same time where you can have a good experience with either one but i'm going to go against you adam's family is i feel like they're a lot well monsters is goofy and adam's family just makes fun of of scary you know like morticia like in the old tv show morticia almost always cutting the heads off of her roses you know that's actually kind of unsettling you know their house is unsettling hand in a box it's it's creepy and then the monsters comes in uh ridiculous you know you got like like you said you got uh, all the monster families you got uh Herman and then you got like you know his family and then you just got like the regular regular girl you you know she's just there like like you know hey guys and she's she's trying to hang out with the family and their monsters and the Adams family are normal people that act like monsters monsters are monsters that act like normal people it's it's a fun it's a fun contrast really I uh I don't want I don't want to deviate too much from I know from Parker's uh, itinerary but um, I'm going to go with Jug on this one. I really do love the monsters. I think the, the concept's wonderful. I think Fred Gwynn as Frankenstein is just so good. I love everything about it. Um, I'm an Adams Family guy. Um, I actually was literally, I'm biased. I was literally, I was literally just Gomez with my wonderful girlfriend um, this past Halloween. She was Morticia. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't want to deviate too much, but yeah, I, I love both. But if I had a pick, I think I lean toward Adams as well. I don't know. I mean, I guess I like the monsters more because they are actual monsters, not people that are just like creepy. 
And Jug, our mom is literally Lily Munster. Let's be honest. <laughs> that's that's it's so true. That's why I'm kind of I, I have to lean towards it. You know, it's us. We are we're we're essentially the Munsters. You know, with with she loves it so much, but it's just a more I feel like it's a more fun thing because with the Munsters, you know, they're monsters. You know, they're trying to live normal life, but they are monsters. You look at the Adams family. What should be normal people and there's their their quirks, their their weird Uncle Fester can can uh, light a light bulb with his mouth for no reason. Never touched on it all. He could just do it and it's 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 hilarious. And uh, you know, you you're watching a show about what's supposed to be a normal family and and it really isn't. When you watch the monsters, you're prepared for monsters, you know? Monsters, monsters, you know what you're getting into. But when you watch the Adams family, you're like, oh, this looks like a normal family. And then they do something wacky. Gomez stands on his head for a couple hours, you know, cuts the head off of roses, uh, the, the nail, uh, the the nail bed, you know, and you're watching like, oh, that's a twist. You know, you're not expecting it when you go for the Adams family. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, fellas. So Austin briefly mentioned this earlier, but I thought that this was really interesting. Number three, Riku Browning and Ben Chapman never met during the making of the film. Browning's underwater scenes were filmed in Florida, while Chapman's scenes were filmed in California at the Universal lot. They didn't meet until they both attended a convention in Florida just 20 years after the film. I uh, I can't I can't believe that, to be honest with you. That's that's so weird to me like they, they they filmed an entire movie together and they had like they never met they never said hello you know they they, they never worked together you know it, it, i feel like that's part of the fun of filming a movie is that you you get to hang out with your co-stars you know you get to ha become friends you know have a good laugh you know offset one of them's in florida like how are you gonna do that and then 20 years later you would have thought they'd have a reunion before then you know bringing everyone in saying good job with a good film 20 years later they met up that's that's so crazy to me well, well a couple of things that make me i that come to my mind is a how cool would it be to attend a sci-fi horror uh, convention in the mid 70s <laughs> that, that how I mean, super, yeah, very, very different, and very cool. Um, I can believe it's because they were filming on other sides of the country. And if you think about it, Rico, underwater Gilman, probably never really met Julie Adams either. I don't, unless they did some kind of, you know, when it's underwater, it's, it's, um, oh, no, I said Grace, it's Ginger. It's Ginger's, I remember now, Ginger Stanley. That's the underwater devil for her. I don't think you see uh, Julie's face very much. Um, so I mean I can believe it. I was I have long thought and heard that Ben Chapman was a big sweetheart. I think he's from Hawaii, um, and he uh, one one weird little collector thing. This is a kind of a side note. I've always wanted to find, but I guess I can because he became a realtor later in life, and um, was so proud of the Gilman. He put a, he put the Gilman in all of his uh, business cards, and they're out there. I've, and I've seen them on eBay. I've always wanted to get a Ben Chapman realtor Gilman card um it's a quick with a weird side note but um rico's rico's still out there he's still doing the conventions i just got the autograph picture from him our last surviving original universal monsters rico brown yeah i believe that and i i can believe it though i mean that's it's also incredible i can't think of another film where they did that and other universal monsters to film on opposite sides of the country simultaneously to make one cohesive picture and it flows perfectly together it was incredible. most definitely 
So you mentioned this earlier also, Austin. Number five, this was the first film that horror writer Stephen King can remember seeing. So cool. Um, my favorite book is It. I'm a huge Stephen King nerd, too. Um, Gilman first, but still Stephen King major. I'm about to be, I'm almost done with The Stand right now. Um, but I've done It a bunch. It's my favorite book. And that's really wonderful, too, because spoiler alert. Well, it's not kind of spoilery, but um, there are... Because, of course, it becomes a thing you're scared of. And the kids in that book are in the 50s. And almost all the Universal Monsters make an appearance. And there's a really powerful scene where a kid, Eddie Cochran, is, is uh, being attacked by Pennywise. But to Eddie Cochran, it looks like the Gill Man, as described by Stephen King. Um, which is way, way cool. I mean, he describes the aroma and the smell. Um, during my first takeover, before I became part of Universal Monsters Universe... I, sh- I read that passage in my little Instagram takeover. Um, it is so cool, yeah. So I, I-, I can imagine that uh, Gilman, that Stephen King has a nice little love for him. The, the, and honestly, I would love to see a movie the way Stephen King described him. If you, if you haven't found out, I can send you guys a picture. It's way cool of that, of that passage. It's brief, but it's really cool. Definitely do, because that, that would be really interesting. I'd love to read that. Do you have anything you want to add, Jug, or you want me to move on to the next one? I think I think it'd be so cool to uh, to make a movie and I, I feel like it'd be less cool then but but with what Stephen King is now such a staple in horror I feel like uh, it would be so cool to know that like your film like your movie that you made was something that uh, I guess you could say maybe inspired somebody else to do so many like great scary things you know kind of surpass you really when when you look at the big picture of all the Stephen King books the movies that were made out of them the impact they've made on the world and you think back like huh I I kind of I kind of started that I kind of raised that boy and I think that'd be really cool definitely man so number four when the creature attacks Z the script called for him to pick him up and throw him into the camera for the 3d effect Unfortunately, the wires used to lift Z up to make it appear as though he was actually being picked up by the creature, they kept breaking. After two tries, Jack Arnold decided to have Z just get strangled instead. He was probably like, screw this, I'm done. (laughs) That's in the movie. There's a shot. It's very comical now because that moment, the, the preemptive grabs in the movie... And what it looks like is that, I don't want to be crass, but it looks like Gilman's going right for the crotch. So he runs right at Z, and it's 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 in there, man. It's it's like you can see it super clearly. He goes in there. You, it looks like a pickup, like to pick him up. But then it cuts to the strangle right after that. So it goes, whoa, what are you doing down there, Gilly? Um, um, like, that was, you know, weird. What, what, what's, what's your strategy here? Um, but yeah, so that, and I think they actually did use that um, something very similar in Revenge of the Creature. He does, it's on a nighttime beach scene. He does throw a guy and goes right into a tree. Um, it looks very wiry, but it's very looks very powerful on the Gilman's part. Um, so they must have perfected it later down the road. But uh, that preemptive shot where he reaches down <laughs> is in there, and it makes me kind of giggle every time. Definitely. Okay, fellas, number six. Director Jack Arnold claimed that his main goal in making this film was to create a sense of dread among his audiences. Arnold said it plays upon a basic fear that people have about what might be lurking below the surface of any body of water. You know the feeling when you are swimming and something brushes your legs down there? It scares the hell out of you and you don't know what it is. 
It's that fear of the unknown, and I decided to exploit this fear as much as possible. Seems like he's in the same boat as us. Right, I was about to say, we touched about this a lot with the fear of the unknown. We already talked about uh, all the different things Austin said. Uh, I said myself. Uh, you know, it's it's always there. People, no matter how brave or how strong you are, you know, there's always that that fear, that itch in the back of your in in the back of your mind that's saying, mm, "I don't like this. What is that? I don't understand this," and it causes uh, it causes a big you know like friction almost. It it makes things different in your mind. You know, like if you get scared of something, your brain starts making up answers. You know, that's the override of imagination part of fear, is is it starts acting wildly. And this this movie does do that. You know, they're all they're all scared. They don't know what, what they're dealing with right now. And they start, you know, they, they they make assumptions, you know, they get scared and they make assumptions and that it's not good, but you know, the movie did exactly what it it was trying to do then. You know, the dread is definitely there, especially when you you know, you've seen the movie a couple times. When you're watching it, you definitely feel, you know, you're like, oh, you know, especially when when the hand comes out of the water, like that. When when I saw it for the first time, my first time viewing the movie, I was like, oh, baby, that that's that was that was frightening. That was that was scary. I did not see it coming. And then when you see him walking on the deck, you can see his his little his little fish feet walking past that window. And you know that he's on the boat, but nobody else knows. And you're sitting there on the on on the edge of your seat, waiting for something to happen. It's it's, it's crazy scary. Agreed. Number seven, Rico Browning, the stuntman who provided the underwater shots of the creature, once had to make an emergency bathroom visit while he was filming a scene. Browning had been underwater for several minutes and breached the water in full costume next to an unsuspecting mother and her young daughter on the nearby shore. Browning said that they fled in terror once they saw him. He recalled, they took off and that's the last I saw of them. <laughs> oh god, that would be so damn terrifying. You're over here with your daughter, you're pointing out a little fish you see, and then all of a sudden it's just full-grown, you know, giant fish guy crawling out of the water. That'd be scarring. And the lady saw him, and then the lady sees him in theaters. Like, oh, I was there. I I met that man. That man gave me my PTSD. You know, I think scarring's right. Yeah, I imagine. I I would hope that is a well. It's that's two roads there, guys. That's <laughs> that's a lifelong, generations long, passed on story down where the, all the family loves Gilman because the story that mom and, and sister had when they were at the beach. And it, just, it passed on and on and on to this day where he, there's some grandson that's like, yeah, yeah, that was my grandma. You know, you know, that's that's one path. The other path is just lots and lots of therapy. <laughs> Love it. All right, you guys. Number eight. Viewers will note that when the two men put on their scuba tanks, David always wears two tanks on his back while Mark always wears ones. This is a visual device used by the filmmakers to help the audience distinguish between the two characters when they were swimming underwater. I think, I think too is um, it's all about it's all big time about props as well, because David or Richard Carlson's got that camera, um, and Mark's got the um, harpoon gun, which also speaks to what that literally right there is a visual the visual representation of what each character, what their motives are. Um, but also it does help identify them, I think, as well to the... I knew the tank thing, yeah, but I think it's cool to... You have to think about those things because we don't think of things in black. We, we make movies in color now and make them black and white, but it's funny that back then you only had one option. 
So you're like, well, we can't see color. It's already called the Black Lagoon. It's kind of dark down there. We got to kind of try to find a way to make this, make this pop. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's a whole other like line of thinking that we literally just don't have that. We don't think about that anymore. I think that's a very smart way of doing that. Yeah, because you know, what with the movie being black and white and all, it's it's like you know what 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 what's going on here? What's 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 happening really? And then you know, I really didn't I really didn't think about it. You know, I didn't pay very much mind to how many tubes were going on each man's back while there was a fish monster in view. But you know, I, I think it's a smart device on doing that. Definitely. I think it was clever. I mean, you know, we talked about it, you know, we've, we've been talking about it, but I think that, you know, when, like Jug said, when it is a black and white movie, it's really hard to tell the difference. I mean, unless you're looking at the actor's face, you're like, oh, okay, that's one guy, that's the other guy. But underwater, it's really hard to tell. And even I agree, you know, when we watched the movie Getting Ready for the Podcast, I... You know, before and even before reading this fact, I was like, I always lose track of who's who. Not that it really matters because, you know, they're trying to do the same thing. But at the same time, I'm like, it would have been really cool if they had some kind of like, you know, visual clue. But then I read this fact and I'm like, huh. And then I kind of rewatched that scene just, you know, to get, you know, make sure like I see it now. And now that it's like it's all I can see. It's like I can't unsee it now. You know what I mean? All right, guys. So number nine, there's a rumor that Rico Browning's Gilman suit was actually painted yellow. This way, the camera would be able to see the suit better in the murky water. Browning denied the rumor, saying that his suit was also painted green, and it was made to look almost identical to Ben Chapman's suit. I've never heard the yellow thing before. Thank you. Thank you for... Uh, I, I didn't think you'd stump me on the yellow. You did. You stumped me on something. Um, there is a... The other thing I've heard is that in posters and publicity stuff, his his um, lips are too red. Julie Adams always said they were very garish, and they were not that red. They were not like bright lipstick red. They were very soft red. Um, you can look them up. There are some wonderful, super good Life magazine uh, pictures. There's a whole set of them. I want to say it was, it was 1954. A guy went down and photographed them in color. And it's actually, I don't know who's in the suit. I never found that out. I'm sure it's Ben. It is holding, he, uh, he is holding Julie, whoever it is, is holding Julie Adams. Um, and it's, it's on some location. It looks so good. They never actually published a story, and I don't know why. They've since been kind of restored by actually a great comic artist named Carrie uh, uh, Gamel, if I'm not mistaken. He's on Instagram as well. And I, I posted some of these on, on UMU a little ways back. But um, that, I think, is probably the most authentic look we have of what the color is because most of the suits now don't age well if they exist at all um and I, from what i understand it's a very soft foamy green um very very pretty green actually um and uh that's that so if you have if you've if you never, never seen those look you've seen them and probably didn't know what you were looking at but those actually are some of the only authentically not colored after but actual colored photographs of gilman and uh, julie adams from the movie though one thing that's not always mm -hmm. yeah. talked about with Gilman, because what we all know as monster fans and monster kids is that formula of, I mean, you 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 know I'm about to say it's well Jaws is a prime example, but you you don't see it until you see it, and you have to earn seeing it, whatever it is, um, and that's been established well before Jaws. 
and we all the, why Jaws is so famous is because they wanted to show it more the, the shark. And of course, we, we all know that it was having malfunctioning problems. It was so they, they went less and less and less, and it ended up being brilliant. And less is more, less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, Gilman was was again an amazing example of that. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't really get a good look at him for a while. We saw a fossil first. We saw the hand, as Jug has mentioned. Those are great shots. Bum, 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 with that theme, you know. Um, and then it's that great tent attack scene. Again, we just don't see him. We hear a great roar. We hear the, 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 the gloves and the arm. Um, the swim, we know he's there. The first face shot is very brief, and it's several minutes into the film. Um and that's the way to go. You have to do it that way. You can't show them too quick. You just can't. Um, and that suspense is really... So if he was... I don't know if he was really going for that exact formula. I imagine he was. He has to be. But I think it plays on that quote you're reading, Parker, that he... Um, just that level of... Building a question mark in people's brains and not making them not feel safe. Once the camera goes below the surface, it makes you feel tension. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Um... And these students soon realize that, you know, these people, if they just left, it wouldn't be a big deal. Um, and they're in his house. But um, still, there is that dread of um, imagining in 1954. As you know, you mentioned it when you're talking to Stephen about The Mummy. And I love that stuff about we're kind of desensitized to these horror movies. But in 1954, it's 3D. Bubbles are going around you. You get this, you know, the music goes boom, boom, boom. And then there's a Gilman coming at the screen. That's really tough stuff. And it's like after... 20 30 minutes of you know there's something in that lagoon you know there's a creature and it. it's in the title where is he what's he doing so um so yeah so i imagine audiences then and us as kids watching and now we're, we're like just you know i mean i'd say anyway and, and, <laughs> all, all that to say i think jack arnold absolutely nailed uh the, the goal he set after you need it yeah definitely so austin you were talking about this before but i kind of want to touch back on what you were saying earlier number 10 julie adams noted that making the film was an extremely pleasant process and that the cast and crew got along quite well she also explained that she felt very sympathetic toward the monster adam said there is always that feeling of compassion for the monster i think maybe it touches something in ourselves Maybe the darker parts of ourselves that long to be loved and think they really can't ever be loved. It strikes a chord within all of us, whether we notice it or not. Yeah, man. She nails it. That's absolutely it. I mean, she, of course, has had some time to think on that one, of course. Um, so I feel if anyone's, if I, I, will ju- I will take her um, expertise over anyone else's. She's, the, she's got the best view, view of the house on this one. Um, Literally, um, uh, and Guillermo del Toro, director, so, says something almost identical. He's a, a unabashed Gilman fan. Um, and then I, I always consider Shape of Water to be a giant love letter to Gilman. Even there, the asset comes from the Amazon. Um, yeah, it's 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 except in his in, in his film, Gilman got the girl, which is cool. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I always heard that she had a great, really great time. I'd never heard of any drama. I mean, she hit her head, but like I'd never heard of any squabbling or any, you know, as far as I've known, um, I can recall, of course, every film has got something, but yeah, no big animosity or big legend or, um, I have a, some really cool behind the scenes stuff I haven't quite shared yet on UMU. Lots of smiling, man. Those behind the scenes are, are creatures from Black Lagoon, lots of smiling. 
um, lots the director everybody all around laughing the suit you know I think there's also a sense of they're building something special um, and she says she talks about that in interviews and then when I talked to her that you know there's she was like oh man I'm on this oh drat you know I'm in this horror movie then immediately she just had delightful time she's all smiles about it and I even think it's genuine I don't think it was like oh this movie I'm popular for this movie I think she like and she said, you just, you never know. She said, that's what I'm most remembered for. But that's, uh, um, all the leading ladies from the Gilman, um, um, from, from the trilogy kind of said something. Lori Nelson who actually passed away this year from Revenge of the Creature. So that's what she's most remembered for. Um, I think also that director, Jack Arnold's a really great guy. He's a kind of a 50s sci-fi directing legend. I've heard he's, he was a bit of a truth stretcher in some things, but I mean, Tarantula, um, Revenge of the Creature, Incredible Shrinking Man, it came from outer space. Uh, I've heard rumors that he actually helped direct this island Earth, amongst many, 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 many other things. Um, so I think you just had a lot of really seasoned, great people on board. Um, that really, that 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 makes a huge difference, you know. And then, you know, I love Lon Chaney Jr. and stuff, and but you hear about some of those stories about some of the crankiness of this and that, and and. Um, but yeah, Gilman seems to be a very, very positive. It's also most of that film almost shot entirely in, in daylight, which is really cool for Universal Monsters. It's not a full moon. There's not macabre and webs. It's mostly light. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's, it seems very positive. Some of the most, some of the best behind-the-scenes picks have been Chapman in the suit on Creature on the first film. He's literally dancing. Um, uh, he's, he's doing. There's some great kind of jigs, you know. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of them where he's posing. Um, I've seen this really great shot I love where he's he's out he's out of the mask he's in the rest of the suit just beaming I mean it's just, again like you said, for refreshing I just you know some of those they don't seeing those things don't destroy the illusion of the movie because that's just you know those master craftsmen craftsmen and women um, that made it and they were able to just, and they, they, I think at the core of some of the best horror films I, I've heard generally the, the, the attitude is very very positive you kind of have to do that. Um, and I think some of the best films of all time had some of the, the best camaraderie um, uh, uh, um, on set. And it make, you're right, like, like Jug said, it makes you feel good to, for me, that's a big deal to know that they got along, people were good with each other. I mean, that's that goes a long way. And I think that's, that speaks through the film as well. It's definitely like a new like side of universal because like going off of what you were saying austin like universal like there are stories across the ages i mean at least one squabble happened in like all of our favorite movies you know what i mean of course bella lugosi dealt with typecasting so that kind of determined his movies and then you know there was the animosity between james whale and boris karloff and then there was zeta johan versus james whale there was like it seemed like almost every movie had one thing that people just could not vibe with but yeah you're absolutely right it really is a refreshing feeling to see that with creature people were actually genuinely enjoying making a movie and they were enjoying their director and you know i mean you you don't really see that even in movies today you know i i i i hearing what you're saying i think it's really cool and honestly like good for them i mean i know it was 66 years ago but hey good for them to have that relationship to have that bond it, it all works for me that's for sure all right fellas well that's a wrap 
So that concludes today's episode of Creature from the Black Lagoon. I hope you have enjoyed listening as we've enjoyed reviewing it for you. I want to give one more huge shout out and one more big thank you to not one, but two of my very special guests, my brother Jug and Austin Gilhill of Universal Monsters. Your guys' opinions, your guys' discussions, your guys' feelings, everything that you could have possibly said was all here in this recording. It's all here in this episode. And I'm so grateful again. Like, I know I said it a lot in this episode, but I really am so grateful to have heard from you guys, to have talked to you guys, to have both of you guys on the show. So I thank both of you from the very bottom of my zombie heart. Thank you. Absolutely. Being on the show is great. Thank you, brother. Anytime. We'll go back to the back, uh, Black Lagoon for you, man. Anytime. <laughs> All right. Remember to follow The Eldritch Review on Facebook, The Eldritch Review, or on Instagram, at The Eldritch Review. We also have official merchandise available on Spreadshirt designed by Heartless Designs, including the new Eldritch Winter Launch, featuring all new selections for the cold months ahead, including sweaters, sweatshirts, hoodies, and jackets available for men, women, and those who are non-binary. And also available on Spreadshirt, we have a new collection of universal monster-themed designs designed and created by friend and big-time creep here on the Eldritch Review, Mr. Austin Webb. Be sure to check out our Instagram bio for the link to shop. Order now just in time for the holidays. Next week's episode will feature a very unique special created by Universal and the film that brought two of our most favorite and well-known monsters together for the very first time, 1943's Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, featuring a reprisal of Lon Chaney Jr. as Larry Talbot or the Wolfman, Maria Uspenskaya as Malava the Gypsy, and playing Frankenstein's monster for his very first time ever, Bela Lugosi. This movie was just so unique because it was the very first time universes and monsters ever met and faced off. It's such a fascinating film, and I really can't wait to talk to you guys all about it. So, until next week.